Welcome to Paul or Nothing, the place to get all of your Paul all of the time. Join me, your host Sam Wiles, as we discover the history, the music, and the man behind it all, Paul McCartney. To get in contact with the show, email us at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. Hello, hello, hello. Hi, 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 and welcome to a very special episode of Paul or Nothing, the place to get all of your Paul all of the time. I am, of course, your host, Sam Wiles, and today we're going to be doing my very favourite thing to do on this show, which is to reach out and just speak to someone on this show with a unique connection to the very man upon which this very podcast is based. A while back, you may remember, me and my good friend of the show, Mr. Matt Phillips, discussed all of the music videos for the Egypt Station release, aka McCartney's number one album from last year. It was a great episode go check it out. But the reason I bring it up here is because the main focus of that episode was, at no one's surprise, the music video which actually had Paul McCartney featuring heavily in it, which was, of course, the video for Who Cares, itself in turn being the third single from the parent album, as well as being the fourth and final video in the series. And why am I going into so much detail about the Who Cares music video? Well, For those of you who haven't done a quick Google search whilst I've been talking here, you may have guessed that my guest today is in some way related to it. And I'd like to reveal who he is, but I've got to do a little bit of housekeeping before we dive right in. Obviously, if you want to get in contact with the show, please drop me an email at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. Let me know your Paul McCartney stories and trivia, no matter how tenuous. And of course, you can also let me know about any of the previous albums we have discussed on this podcast, or maybe even warn me or recommend me albums and songs in the future. I'd love to have some of those. If you want to have a quick contact and have some regular updates from the show, then join our Twitter. It's our central hub, which is at McCartneyPod on Twitter. We post there every day, all fun stuff. Check out our blog as well for some supplementary material, some stuff that we can't quite fit onto the pod and some stuff that did eventually go on to become episodes of the podcast. So for some bonus content, check out www.paulmccartneypod.wordpress.com. That's www.paulmccartneypod.wordpress.com. Find us on YouTube and Facebook simply by typing in Paul McCartney Pod or Paul or Nothing. Please leave us a five-star review on iTunes or on whatever podcasting app you're using. Every time you leave a positive comment, every time you leave a five-star review, it really pushes us up in the rankings. And we've been having such a good performance with this podcast recently. And I'm just so excited to keep expanding the show and keep growing this wonderful audience that we've cultivated over the last couple of years. Uh, Finally, if you want to help put back into the show a little more directly than just leaving a five-star review, then, of course, you can check out our Patreon. I'm sure 99.9% of you listening to this know what Patreon is. It's a platform whereby you can support independent content creators such as the one you're listening to right now. Of course, this show is ad-free. I do it in my spare time whilst working full-time. If you want to help support me in some way, if you ever wanted to buy me a drink or a coffee or a beer as thanks for the work that I do on this show... Or maybe you are one of the people out there that actively wants to see the show expand and grow, you know, help us book better guests, help get better equipment, or even just allow me, afford me more time to work on the show itself. If you fancy doing any of that, please become one of our wonderful patrons. And importantly, don't think that everyone else is doing it. Be the active member, be the change, and check out our Patreon page down below. All the plugs are out of the way. And... Yeah, this is a little pre-recorded part. The interview you're about to hear I recorded yesterday, just after I got back from seeing The Rise of Skywalker. Uh, So if there are allusions to Star Wars throughout this interview, then please do forgive me. I'm just so excited to put this episode out for you now, folks. I really hope you do enjoy it. It was meant to happen like over a year ago, but all that stuff with my dad kind of pushed it to the side for one moment. And I'm just so thankful for my guest, who I'll be introducing shortly, for being able to come back on the show and and have this chat with me because it really was amazing. Yeah, peace and love, folks. I'm gonna, I'm gonna cut to the live feed. Three, two, one. My guest today is an incredibly successful photographer and director. He's been active since around 2010, and in that time, he's photographed some incredible faces. Really, I've had a lot of fun researching this. We've had the likes of Eric Clapton, David Byrne, Annie Clark, Danny DeVito, Dave Grohl, Iggy Pop. The list goes on. He's done the rounds. It's safe to say. 
He's even taken a few snaps of one Paul McCartney over the years, and last year he continued his work with the Big Mac by directing the music video for Who Cares, which, amongst other things, also starred Oscar-winning actress Emma Stone. And yet, despite these accolades, he's actually here today to discuss his work with Paul here with, with us now. His name is Brantley Gutierrez, and I am oh so happy to welcome him onto the show. Hello, Brantley. How are you, my friend? Hey, Sam. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. This is an absolute pleasure, man. I'm so excited for this. And I will begin, as I always do, with the most British question ever. But where are you calling from and what's the weather like? I am in sunny Los Angeles at the moment. Um, and it is a bone chilling, like 67 degrees here right now. That's a British <laughs> summer, my friend. That's a British summer. Oh. Yeah, I know. I know. It's it's pretty lovely, actually. It's, a, it's, it's, it's gorgeous. So I'm just out here, uh, but I'm heading back back east for the holidays uh, tomorrow, so I'll be back with the, the proper cold weather. So That's more like it. Yes, wouldn't be Christmas without it. Of, of course, I mean, we're having wonderful rain for our Christmas over here in the UK, so oh, that's, that's as pretty. close as we're going to get to a white Christmas, I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> as I've been through your work, I swiftly realized that you were not just going to be the who cares guy, and that, in fact, there's a lot for us to break down here. And your first collaboration with Paul is dating back quite a few years ago now. It seems to be a photography session. I was wondering if you could detail the process by which you came to photograph him for the first time. Yeah, um, I first met Paul and I believe it was the end of 2006. And it was, it was right before he was putting out his album at the time, which I believe was Memory Almost Full. Mm -hmm. um, and... At the time, you know, I, I had no connection to Paul whatsoever at the time, but, um, you know, I was touring with a, lots of different bands doing, you know, documentary work and shooting live shows and doing press photography for, for magazines and stuff mm -hmm. um, with some bands like Arcade Fire and Bjork and, uh, you know, the Foo Fighters and a handful of other people. And around that time, uh, Paul kind of got new management, new publicist, and all that sort of jazz. He kind of was, was cleaning house a, a mm. bit, I guess you could say. And one of the, uh, the, the guys who ended up coming on to the management team was a, a good friend of mine named Scott Roger. And he showed Paul some of my pictures and, and he was like, let's, let's get this guy out for, for a couple shows. And I went and did a show in New York at the Highline Ballroom, and then we did a, a show at Amoeba Records, and we did some portraits, and then I documented the shows, and and we just kind of hit it off. You know, it was it was actually, you know, I, I actually wasn't even really expecting to meet him the first time at the <laughs> at the Highline Ballroom in New York, but I'm I got there and ran up the stairs and you know basically turned the corner and, and actually like physically ran into him, and <laughs> I just kind of at that moment was like, oh. I was like, oh my God, this is uh, Paul McCartney. <laughs> and, uh, and I kind of just like, okay, I either got to like introduce myself or just like shrug and like run off the other direction entirely. But uh, so I introduced myself and, you know, he was like, oh, you're the guy. All right. Hey, come, yeah, come back into the dressing room. And, you know, he brought me back in the dressing room and we just sort of chatted for about an hour about photography and life. And, you know, he kind of talked to me about his love for Polaroids and, you know, about how he met Linda and, yeah, and then he just was, you know, at that point, he's like, you're my guest tonight. You can, you know, take pictures backstage. You can go on stage, do whatever you want. And uh, and that was sort of the beginning. And then we just sort of started working together from from then on. And I went on to, I think, that next year, going on tour with him, doing uh, photography and then video stuff for him for, for a couple years um, on the road. And, yeah, that was sort of how it all kind of began. I think I'd just break down if I bumped into Paul accidentally. I think the only words I'd be able to come out with would just be oh, some sort of verbal <laughs> diarrhea. You know, he's he's really good with that, though, because I've seen, you know, spending years with him and, like, seeing lots of people, you know, kind of have th this freak out when they meet him. Like, I've, and I think this comes with just years of being maybe the most famous person alive, but he has this really disarming sort of thing that he does it's almost like you know a jedi mind trick where he kind of you know <laughs> he kind of puts everyone at ease and gives them a moment and gives you know he, 
uh, he remembers everyone's name, which I just astounding. And he kind of always wow. like gives everyone like a quick nickname and <laughs> kind of like diffuses like them and kind of puts them and then, you know, gives them a moment and, and then goes on his merry way. It's really, it's really special to watch. I know and I've gotten to work with a lot of um, quote unquote famous people, but his particular, you know, way of being with it is, is, is really unique. What is your nickname? I, I have to ask. <laughs> he called me Brants. Oh, I love it. I love it. <laughs> oh, how you doing, Brants? Yeah, it's great, Brants. Yeah. Oh, cheers, Brants. Oh. Yeah. oh, my heart is fluttering away. That's bad. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so, a lot of cynical people, I guess, would call Paul's demeanor like this, this media mask, like something with a real negative spin on it. Do you see it that way, or do you just see him as being experienced with people? I, you know, I, I would say. You know, I I'd heard people kind of like have that sort of, you know, idea of him before we even started working together. I personally never really kind of saw it that way because, you know, the Beatles were are, you know, my one of my favorite bands, if not my favorite band. And I always just thought, you know, that these kids were kind of thrust into this, like, you know, the, the ultimate spotlight. And they all had to kind of, you know, find their way of dealing with it. And they all kind of did it in their own way. And and. And it worked uh, for each of them, you know, in their own way. But I can say that, you know, over the years of spending quite a bit of time with Paul and, and, and becoming friends and, you know, becoming friends with the family and spending time with the family and on non-work related things that, no, I think that it's it really is him. And I think, you know, it's part of him and it's part of the way that, you know, he was basically, you know, a kid when the, the, his life changed. So I think... I don't think it's a, a mask per se, but it's just it's just who he is. And I think he has fun with it and he tries to have as much fun as he can with it. And I think that's what, you know, part of the thing that keeps him young is that he, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't really it, it, it can easily ruin, you know, a less strong people or less people, people that are less uh, apt to embrace it. And I think he found his way to, to do it the best to, uh, to his ability. So, of course, because I mean, like the more you compare Beatles, especially especially ex Beatles, the the more you realize that Paul was just born to be Paul McCartney. That he couldn't be anything else. That, yes, you know, he, he is he is designed to be, like I say, the most famous man ever. And when you're working with the most famous man ever, I mean, especially in terms of photography and image, like how much of a role does Paul have in that process? Is he strongly in control of his image? Was he trying to reinvent himself when you were first working for him or even more recently? Or I mean, how much free reign do you have when you work with him? I mean, honestly, pretty, pretty much free reign. Like, you know, I think part of my job, especially when, you know, I was kind of starting out and doing it on tour was, you know, my real job was to be, for the most part, the fly on the wall and to like kind of catch the moments in between the moments. And Paul sort of, I think, always sort of recognized the, you know, the importance of documentation. So, you know, my job really was to be a documentarian for for things that weren't necessarily for a particular one for a magazine or whatnot they could sometimes be but a lot of them were for posterity i think mm. and you know so he kind of gave me has always given me sort of free reign to do what i want and i in turn appreciate that trust and you know I've, there's i've shot lots of stuff over the years that you know maybe someday people will see maybe they won't i don't really know but you know part of the part of the deal is that you know I'll only put out what he what he wants to put out and vice versa. So it's a pretty nice and rare relationship, you know, in the entertainment world, I think. And uh, so I'm, I'm very appreciative of it. It must be so interesting to know that in like 50 years, one of your photos might end up in some sort of re-release of Band on the Run or something. You know, that's that's so that's so cool. I like that. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I you know I would have never thought I would be working with Paul McCartney growing up. That's <laughs> definitely a little bit of a mind. Even still, when I see him, I'm just like, yeah, this is, yeah, you're yeah, man. <laughs> you wrote Hey Jude, shit. <laughs> I actually noticed in your credits on IMDb, which are, is a very poorly maintained list, uh, it need, it does need updating. I noticed a credit for Jim and Andy, the fantastic Jim Carrey documentary. So I know yes. you, I, I know you've got experience in the documentary field. There is a Paul McCartney documentary coming out. Why hasn't there been the definitive one? We've had Living in the Material World from uh, Martin Scorsese about George Harrison. Do we need, as morbid as this sounds, the end of the story before we get the definitive Paul documentary, do you reckon? 
Well, you know, that's a good question. I don't know if I particularly have the answer. I can, I can guess as to why I think one thing about Paul that I, that I really admire about him is that he's always trying to look forward. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think to him, the Beatles re-releases, all of that stuff, the Wings re-releases, that stuff is is great because that's, you know, a chance to celebrate the the catalog. But I think in terms of the story, I think, you know, I think Paul knows that he's he's got more in him. And I, I think maybe there's a bit of him where he's like, well, I'm I'm not even I got a couple more years. I'm not even, I got all this stuff I want to do. Why make a story if it's only you know three quarters of the way done? Mm. And that's why I think you know, he's documented so much stuff because I know I'm sure there's lots of people in the camp would love to, you know, you know, put stuff out. But I think that's part of the reason why it's it's taking a while is because he's just, you know, he's like, oh, but what about this? We're going to do this next mm-hmm. year. We're going to do this or, you know, we're going to do this track with so and so like we should get that. And so I, I think it stems from a bit of that. Well, it's the same problem with writing McCartney books like there's so many McCartney authors that would have released a book after new and then he comes out with Egypt Station and they almost go, oh, crap, I've got to do another revised edition now because he won't stop putting out content. They've got to write about <laughs> the Bruce McMahon show and all the archives and stuff like that. I mean, we've even got a remake of a documentary involving Paul Underwork by Peter Jackson right now. Let it be part two, as it were, which is going to be an absolutely insane thing to see in the cinema as well. Oh, I can't wait for that. Actually, I was at the Dodger Stadium show and uh, Peter was was backstage with us, too. And I, it took everything in me to not just be like, tell me everything that you're doing. Like, I want to know. Uh, oh, but yeah, I'm very excited about that. Maybe if you said it in like a, a New Zealand Dixon, it would have like caught, caught him off guard. Maybe like, oh, Mr. Jackson, Mr. Jackson. <laughs> Is Andy Circus going to be playing Paul through motion capture? <laughs> <laughs> Now, that would be something. Now, that would be something, indeed. Um, how involved is Paul at the end of a shoot? Do you have to send him photos, or is it just his people? You know, I always send the stuff to, to management, and but ultimately, it ends up with Paul calling me on the phone, and we talk. Oh. Um, yeah, yeah. So, you know, he, he, he's he got a good sense of, of all of that, and, you know, it... it, it yeah, I think he's always just, you know, finds that it's easier just to, like, reach out directly. And I I appreciate it. So, I, you know, I remember the first time, you know, I think this is, I think, 2008 or 2009. My memory is a little bit blurry. But when he was doing the uh, the Oceans uh, Ballet and Oceans Kingdom Ballet and with New York City Ballet, I was documenting that, but doing video. So I was doing all the documentary stuff for that. And at that point I'd been on tour and like, you know, I was, you know, done, done the thing. And like, we were cool, but he'd never just called me on the phone. Like if we weren't on tour and after I was in New York and shot everything, I just got a call one day from a British number and I I thought it was someone else. So I answered it and he was like, Hey, this is Paul, man. Hey, I I think my voice went up like four octaves. I was like, Hey, Man, just like everyone in the office kind of looked at me like who are you talking to um, <laughs> oh my god yeah oh again no judgment here there i don't know how i'd be able to compose myself <laughs> i must i must say that as like a guy who has watched almost every bit of footage that's ever existed of paul mccartney i was re-watching your footage of paul during the ocean kingdom stuff all of that behind-the-scenes stuff, and the, the rehearsal footage of Paul working with the ballet dancers and all of them moving around him, that's some of my favourite Paul McCartney footage ever. It's just, it's so perfect and crisp, and like you mentioned earlier, the idea of being the fly on the wall, it's so great to ha- to see Paul like not mugging the camera, as it were, and just being himself. I absolutely loved watching all of that, so well done for that. It was really cool. I really enjoyed oh, that. Oh, thanks. It, yeah, it was such a, it was such a cool, unique, you know, process to to watch happen and to see paul in that because it's it was such a different world i think you know that i'd ever seen him in and, and it was sort of this different form of expression for him and and sort of you know it put him in a different role with you know and it, yeah the sort of the things that you know paul does with the mug in the camera and all that fun stuff that you know paul does that we love and but that wasn't necessarily part of that process and it, it was cool to be able to watch that and 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 see see it from the writing of the music all the way to you know it going on stage you know over the course of a couple months so it was it was pretty 
it was pretty special. Anytime I can just watch Paul kind of scratch his nose and go, yeah, it's really good, man, I like it. Like anything just simple like that, <laughs> that is for me. I don't want, you know, the wonderful Christmas time music video where he's there shaking his bells. I just, I want to see him just like eating a muffin or a croissant or something. That's, that's primo McCartney material for me. Absolutely. Same here, man. <laughs> it seems like um, from, from everyone I've spoken to, in an artistic trade and I know this can sound like a bit of a reductionist element to it but a lot of it comes down to being able to trust people who know what's cool and interesting and more importantly being able to work with them multiple times so would you agree that kind of a key to success with Paul is just being able to have a rapport with him early on just being able to get along with him is that part of the success you know I I, I think so I think that, that that's a big part because you know, I think someone like Paul, he can work with whoever he wants. Everyone will answer that phone call, you know, if they get it. Oh, and, yeah. and, um, but I think, you know, I think there's definitely a, um, you know, a friendship and, and a trust and the sort of openness that we, you know, that we have. And, you know, I think, like I said, I've, I've become really great friends with, with Mary and Stella and, and, and everyone over the years. And I think to, to be within that fold, like kind of, he's like, gives him a little bit of like, okay, the kids trust him. Like they're, they're hanging out. Like we're, you know, okay, you're cool. You're not gonna, you're not gonna do something that is going to put me in a weird spot. And I think, I think I, I'm, I'm, I got some talent, but I think, you know, part of it, a big part of it is like, being able to like make it fun and make it easy and not make it a, a a thing, you know, and just be like, yeah, we had fun and we got the job done and, and it was easy. <laughs> so let's move on to the, the main course of this, yes. of, of this chat. This is probably the, uh, the magnum opus of your McCartney based work, which is of course the video for who cares, which coincidentally was released at time of recording one year and one day ago to the day, uh, today, which was not planned. It's absolutely crazy. One year and one day ago today, I was first watching Who Cares and just being absolutely captivated. We did an episode shortly after that where I reviewed all the music videos for Egypt Station. And no prizes for guessing which one was my favourite. You know, all uh, all uh, bias and obvious pandering aside, because... I mean, compared to the rest of the videos that came out for the Egypt Station project, yours was the one that, that felt most like a proper music video. You know, it featured Paul in a major element. I think the, the Back in Brazil one featured like a little kind of stock footage cameo, as it, as it were. But yours was the one that everyone was hyped for. You know, there was, there was lots of stuff on his, on his Instagram and Twitter that was teasing it for a while. But let's just start at, at, at the beginning then. Can you explain the process by how you came to work on the video? Were you just approached by Paul? Was it another phone call again? You know, it was actually, it was kind of unorthodox in the, in the whole way it sort of came about. You know, I, I pitched, I called Paul and I was like, I want to do a video for the new, for the new album. Mm. And, you know, I want to do it for the song Who Cares? And... Oh, okay. So, 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 it, let me interrupt. Why did you pick Who Cares first? Well, because I knew that 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 Simon had done a video for uh, for you, mm -hmm. and I knew that they they had already completed two other videos, Come On to You and For You, and so I knew that those were those were already in the can, and those were going those were going to be out, and I knew that. I just kind of listened to the the tracks that they were made available to me at the mm. point because obviously the, the record hadn't come out yet when we were sort of plotting this thing. And that one, I was like, you know, I wanted to do something that was kind of fun and the sort of the most the up-tempo tracks mm -hmm. that, that kind of I thought would work for what I was sort of envisioning. You know, I thought we could make something for, for you. I thought we'd come on to you as well. But those were already taken. So I was like, mm -hmm. I was like, who cares is interesting. And I kind of like the, I really like the message of it. And so, you know, I, I reached out to, to, to the management and I was like, Hey, I would love to do a video, you know, for who cares. And they're like, well, that's, that's not a single for the album. And I was like, Oh, well, okay. Okay. Well, that makes sense then. Um, but you know, I, so I was like, you know what, I'm just going to reach out to Paul. And I was like, Paul, I got this idea. 
and I want to do it for Who Cares. I know it's not a single, but me and Emma really want to do something with you. And I think we can make something happen if if you're down. And he was like, yeah, let's do it, man. Let's yeah, let's let's figure it out. So he's like, I only have this week, this like weekend, which was like, I think two and a half weeks from when I made that call. So wow. we were basically like scrambled to like put something together because, you know, usually you have a bit more time and, mm. and sort of support to do that. But you know, the, the sort of the, the, the take on it was like, we're just going to do it ourselves and we'll tell the record label later that we did it. Well, so we didn't, we didn't let the record label know that we were doing the video or who was in it or anything until basically we were on set. Oh my which, God. Yeah. Which was not my idea. <laughs> I just <laughs> want to go on to say that like, I, it's not that I wanted to go around Capitol. Don't tell him, Brant. Don't tell him. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah. I love this. I love the clandestine nature of this of, of this music video here. This is fantastic. Yeah, it it really was. It was like one of those things where like Paul said we were going to do it, so everyone's like scrambling. You're like, oh, oh god, how? Okay, we guess we got to figure this out. And so you know, thankfully, everyone at uh, MPL is just the best. And you know, I think because we've worked together. For years there was a sense of like okay i think you know they trust me so you know we just sort of wrangled up our, our crew and we got the you know super talented lena sangren who you know is a dp of uh, la la land and actually just shot the new james bond movie and you know we called up our friends at kodak and panavision and they were like we'll give you the 65 millimeter camera and the film to do it and I called up my my good buddy Ryan Heffington, um, who I'd worked with uh, bef- a couple times before, and so we were just like, okay, let's do this and let's try to figure it out and let's try to do something that we wanted to do everything kind of handmade and sort mm. of like a nod to because one of the things I'd known about Paul is that he you know he loves sort of vaudeville and he loved that sort of like theatrical sort of stuff and. I wanted to figure out a way to sort of use that as an influence and then, you know, kind of subvert it and make it a little bit trippy and sort of make it a little, a little nod to some of the Beatles stuff mm. and try to, to slip in as many like little, uh, little, you know, hidden Beatle details into like some of the imagery and stuff. And yeah. And we just, we, we shot it over two days and, you know, two half days. Cause uh, you know, Paul has a really great, schedule of like yep he's got to be done by six (laughs) you know (laughs) he's not showing up before 11 so it's like we have 11 to 6 and then we got to do everything we can and you know i told paul's like i want to write a scene for you and emma to do together and and he i think that really got him excited because he he and emma have also known each other for a while too Mm. and i think that was really sort of the exciting thing he was like all right i love emma I think, and there's something very, there's something very similar about the two of them. I, it makes a lot of sense to me why they're, they're, they love each other so much. They're, they, they share a certain sensibility. And so, yeah, we were just like, all right, we're all friends. We all know each other. We all trust each other. Let's just try to make something that's, that's fun and a, a hopefully a good message that's built into it, but not one that's just beating you over the head in, in the video. And that was sort of the, the like edict that we sort of laid out. We're like, let's, let's make it fun. Let's have a good, me- good time. And, uh, you know, hopefully make something that the people's, you know, like, and maybe scratch their heads a little bit watching. Going back to what, to what you said about, about the imagery, what I liked about it was that it did have that kind of very Sergeant Peppery psychedelia feel to it, but it had the color scheme of something like Revolver. It did make me think of Revolver a lot with that monochromatic kind of black and white dream world, which is so striking against the kind of uh, real world prologue segment. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was definitely, I mean, good, good eye, because that was sort of... That was a reference for me, for sure, was that, you know, the revolver cover and then, you know, and Emma's makeup mean more on that side of the, the, the Sergeant Pepper's kind of thing. So it was that little world within a world. So good catch. Oh, well, oh, well thank you very much. I mean, the one thing I did notice uh, that I wanted to pick up a, a, a small detail, there's a painting on the wall that features a black and white face that like directly mirrors the makeup and the spiral of the dream world. Like, was that intentionally placed or is that just a happy coincidence? No, that wasn't. Yeah, that was definitely intentionally placed. Uh, yeah, we put everything in that room. That room was, was empty. So okay. <laughs> we just threw everything in there that we could. <laughs> That's cool. That's cool.
So when did the idea for the prologue come about? Like, Is there a version of this video where it was just the black and white dream world stuff or, or was there always going to be a, a real world acting element to it? There was there was always going to be that real world acting element because I knew that I knew that Paul really wanted to do a scene with Emma and Emma obviously really wanted to do a scene with Paul because she obviously is a uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, okay, how can I write something short and sweet that, you know, isn't too much dialogue for for Paul because we didn't have a rehearsal. It was just like our show up, we're gonna do these lines. So trying to think of something that would get us into that world and uh, again, sort of a reference point for me was sort of the Dr. Robert story. Mm. Um, and so that was sort of like a nod. She has tea. That. Oh my gosh. I've just, oh my gosh. I've just realized that. Well done. <laughs> yeah. You slipped that in. Oh, that's just, that, 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 that's just changed. I, I thought it was just like a dream or like a, an, an interpretation of the psychological process. And now it could be a literal trip. I've got to reevaluate everything. I, we, we might need to redo this in a week now. I might need to create a whole new set of questions. Oh, dear. <laughs> I never even thought about that. A couple of things just before I get into the, into the video itself, just a couple of surrounding things that particularly might only interest me. One of the things that interested me about the Who Cares song, and you mentioned this, about, is how it's kind of been ascribed, this anti-bullying narrative. And McCartney has a history of sometimes putting a message to a song after it's been written that someone else has come to him with, like, was Blackbird about civil rights or not? You know, there are these certain mysteries and stuff. But the video itself does touch on ideas of mental health with Emma Stone you know, seeking out Dr. Lorenz and stuff like that. Was the anti-bullying theme a part of the process from the get-go? It was, yeah, it was. But again, like I wanted to try to not, it's one of those things that's like so easy to be on the nose with, with such a, like, a, a broad thing like anti-bullying. So to me, it was like, how do, we, how do we make that a little weird? And how do we make it as not quite as obvious? But yes, it was definitely part of it. And I knew that it was something that, was going to be tied to the video in, in a way but i was like how do we find well, how do we make this abstract and a little bit you know avant-garde and still hopefully get that idea across so uh, yeah it was definitely something i had to kind of use as a uh, as a as a marker uh for for the concept well thank you for not doing a kind of mr t on the stoop going like you know children you got to be good to each other kind of thing because <laughs> that could have been a disaster it really could have. <laughs> yeah, it really could have been. <laughs> Where was Dr. Lorenz's office shot? What was that location? It was actually, it was the, the soundstage that we shot in, in, uh, in Brooklyn. It was the, the guy who runs the, uh, the, the studio. It was his office. So we just literally <laughs> were like, took over his office and art directed it and brought everything in there. Cause he just had like a single desk in there. And so we, we brought everything else in. But yeah, we only we only have one location, so it was like, well, I guess this is Dr. Lorenz's office. So, <laughs> well, you pulled it off because I could not tell. I mean, obviously, for, for me, I was just kind of distracted by Paul's wisp of white hair, which was just so beautiful. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it really is. What is your experience of directing Paul as an actor? You know, I was really impressed. Uh, like, I mean, obviously, I've seen Hard Day's Night and Help, and like, you know. Uh, but I hadn't seen him do the, a, a little bit of acting in, in in a while, and he took it he took it seriously. He showed up and he knew, he knew his lines. And because we were shooting film and because we had such tight schedules for the days, I think we only did three takes. Wow! Um, oh my god! And I think we used I think the one that ended the the bulk of it was from the second take, and so. You know, I was really impressed. Like he, he like came prepared and did it, and like, and I thought he, I thought he did a really great job. Like I, I believed him, and it was, you know, it was I was I was like, great, I think we got it. Let's move on. So, honestly, in terms of the writing of that scene, like I was just totally captivated. For me, like as a fan, you totally captured what it means to write McCartney esque dialogue. Like it is a short sequence, but like I just revel in the whole, you know. Chaos and disorder, order, disorder, just all of that is, it just felt so Paul, so naturally Paul. It was, it, it was beautiful. It really was. Thank you. Of course, this interview would not be complete without mentioning the incredible Emma Stone, 
who I've just found out you had previously worked with on the music video for Will Butler's Anna, which is a wonderful little nautical piece in its own right. <laughs> Thank you. Was her involvement something that really got the ball rolling? Was it something that you always wanted to do? I mean, how much was it, like you say, was inspired by her desire to do it? Well, you know, Emma's one of my like closest best friends. We've been friends for a long time. And over the years, we've gone to sh- sh- you know, Paul's shows together. And, you know, we've, we've always, we went and did the, the desert trip a couple of years back. We took like a whole group and, you know, went out there with Paul and had just an amazing time. And, and so she's a, she's a massive Beatles fan as well. It's, it's also her favorite band. So, you know, when I was, when I went, I went to actually Emma first about with the idea. I was like, Em, would you want to do this with me? And she obviously was like, uh, yeah, if we can, <laughs> does Paul want to do it with us? Like, that's the real question. And so when I made that call to Paul and told him, I was like, Hey, me and Em got this, you know, we have this idea we want to do it with you. You know, I think that made Paul be like, yeah, OK, cool. There wasn't a like, you know, there wasn't any sort of hesitation. Just, you know, it's just like, OK, so, yeah, when we got to do it this next weekend then and uh, only got two days. So can we make it work? So it was like one of those things was right place, right time. Everyone had those days available and, and it just kind of all the stars aligned. Does Emma Stone have the most cinematic eyes of the modern era? Because I think she's definitely got to be in the in the top five. There, you just you just like a magnet. You are glued to the screen whenever, whenever she's there. Absolutely, I completely agree. I mean, she kind of, you know, she has the the her eyes obviously just pop on screen. They pop in real life too. But there's something about her her eyes that conveys the ability to convey uh so much and and i kind of one of also one of the references for the video and particularly for her was you know um you know buster keaton and she's a huge buster keaton fan as well as am i and so but i think that's something that like buster also had obviously he's he was silent and but he was able to convey so much with just his physical and with his eyes in particular so I think she kind of has that that quality. Of course. I mean, there's that close-up where she's on Dr. Lorenz's chair, and it's hard not to think of that shot in Birdman, where she's just, it's just that one shot of her face looking directly into camera, and it's just some of the most striking visuals as a director I'm sure you, you could ever be afforded to film. You just point the camera at her, very much like Paul, and it's suddenly classic footage. Yes. Uh, Dr. Lorenz pulls out a little hypnotic disc. It starts spinning. We we, we get reintroduced to the to the black and white color color scheme, and we go into the dream world, the, the drug trippy world, the visual rep- representation of therapy world, whichever one you want to pick. This sequence was all filmed in the same warehouse as Dr. Lorenz's office, and I'm guessing this was all done in the same two day portion as well. It was yes. So from Production to filming is about what would you say two and a half weeks was it two and a half months? Sorry, sorry, yeah, was it? two two and a half. It's about two and a half weeks. Yeah. Wow. And then in terms of the completed product, how long after filming was it all finished? I think we had it all said and done within a month and a half. I think after we shot, yeah, it was it was finished. It was finished right around um, uh, like first week of November. Wow, that's like instant-ish karma, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> now, the first thing you notice when you go through the, the, the portal into Emma Stone's mind is this striking shift in art style and art direction. And I need to ask, how many of these visuals were something that you wanted to put on screen early on, and how much of it came from working with your art department? You know, there was we we, we did have a lot of uh, visual references to sort of pull from, and sort of there was particular things that you know we were scenes that like the elevator the car you know the um you know the proscenium with the the, the alligator that kind of stuff there yeah. a lot of that stuff the the lightning bolts a lot of that was was laid out you know roughly but our art director lee poindexter like brought it to life and the whole her whole art department um just like killed it like in in my mind, it wasn't even going to be as cool as what she did. <laughs> like I was like, in my best version of my mind, I was like, oh, this is even cooler than what I imagined. So, 
you know, Lee and her team just, they knocked it out of the park and they, you know, they were all literally just like cutting and pasting and markering and taping, just like, you know, just like frantic elves in there. Um, just, you know, it, it was, it was a lot for them to do. And, and a lot of like, all right, how are we, how are we actually going to do this? And some of my ideas, we just didn't have time to do because, you know, like I said, it was, it was a short, short kind of uh shoot days and uh so we only got um maybe three takes per actual setup mm. before we had to move on to the next thing so everything you see in the video is either like first or second take and and then was like okay we gotta okay we're all right we're moving on to the next thing because we only had one stage so each one of those things was like we'd have to mm. build it set it up get it break it down move in bring in the next thing set it up and then go and then it was it was basically like a little you know conveyor belt and if we had had a bigger space and had you know more time we would have built all the sets and then just you know move the camera to each one of them yeah. but uh that wasn't that wasn't the uh, the case for this particular one so um was any of this like physically pre-visualized in that kind of classic Jurassic Park manner where it's all the little drawn pencil sketches or what was any of it improvised on the day at all? There a lot of it was was pencil sketched out before and by by before I mean like, you know, a couple of days before. A couple of minutes. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like a couple things like were were sort of improvised on on day of like the car sequence for instance, like the the initial idea for the buildings was they were going to be um, sort of painted on this rolling canvas that was going to be cranked like and moved. Tunes. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, and but we couldn't, we didn't have time to build the apparatus for it. So we, I was like, okay, well, we got to figure something out. And so we just cut out the buildings, and then we had all of the PAs and everyone that wasn't holding a light or a camera on set hold a building and then run behind, you know, which is like the most low budget way we could have done it. But, you know, it was what we had to do to, to sort of make that that work. Um, so that was definitely an, an improvisational thing. I'm trying to remember what else might have been like. Yeah, I mean, that ended up that one was probably the biggest one because, you know, again, it was like, OK, then at the end where we kind of switched to the, the front of the car and the camera kind of goes over the hood of the car. You know that shot would wasn't even technically going to be in it, and but it ended up being one of my favorite ones, just kind of the way because we land on the Empire State Building and Paul pops up kind of in the same position in the next shot, so it ended up kind of working out. You already mentioned this earlier, but one of the most fascinating parts for the video for me, especially when you try and work out how these things are put together, and. The Who Cares video is so resourcefully handmade. Like t to me, it almost felt like a theatre production, like a, a Kabuki performance or the Blue Man Group or something like that. Yes. Like all the elements you see, like the spirals being achieved on on the painted umbrellas. Oh, I love that. That was that was so cool. Or that Iron Maiden device that Emma Stone is strapped into. Like, what was all of that achieved in camera? Were there any CGI elements to blend it all together in the editing? Nope. Every, everything was in camera. The only thing that we did uh, that we had to use um, that we rotoscoped out was when the when the uh, um, the idiots are coming into her ear and out of her mouth. But we shot those elements on film. We just had to rotoscope them out and then put them into there. But everything else was if it was in there, it was a physical thing. It was you could hold it. You could see it. So, yeah, it was all it was all very much like a high school theater production on acid for sure. <laughs> So it's interesting you should mention the one shot with Emma Stone in her mouth. Like, were you not able to achieve that just with forced perspective? Well, we shot it that way, but what we couldn't do is we couldn't get the them to fly out as far as we needed to because right. we would have had to. We didn't. We basically needed like a huge, you know, basically like a stunt team and wire work to do it as far as we needed, and we just didn't have the time mm. or budget to do it. So we kind of like. The idea initially was like forced perspective. We're just going to do it that way. But when we got there, we were like, they were coming out of her mouth, but like landing like, you know, three feet away from her. <laughs> and we're like, well, that's not working. So we're like, okay, this will be the, this will be the one thing that we have to like do that isn't quite working. Cause, cause we needed, we would have needed wire work for that. I mean, there, that was just unfortunately not in the budget. Well, 
I hate to bring this back to Star Wars again, but I think it's just a case of uh, obstacles create resourcefulness, don't they? If if you don't have the the budget of a Mission Impossible six type movie, and you've got to come up with something on the day, that always creates these very unique and resourceful little get arounds, which. I always think are much more interesting, like the shark in Jaws, for example, if we could have seen it straight away like Spielberg would have wanted, you know, we wouldn't have had Amistad and all those wonderful films years down the line. Yes, I absolutely agree. You know, that's that's one of my favorite parts of filmmaking is, is problem solving. And, you know, every project, there's something that you have to do. And and a lot of times, at least for me, it's like those are the things that end up being like the most sort of exciting or endearing and and it'd be, even if people don't know that that wasn't part of it or part of the intention of the original it's that i feel like those are those little magic moments you know speaking of intention and this is something that's always fascinated me, me with directors because i mean everything that i've done in my little own way i i've had final cut over it yet in the video for who cares you are not listed as the editor so i wanted to ask you how it feels to hand over your footage your baby to another editor and then see it come out on the other side well, you know, my Ryan, my my editor um, is someone I've he's one of my best friends. We work together. We, we you know, we met each other when, you know, we were just, you know, 20 years old. So we've, we've been working together for almost our entire careers. Um, I, I actually didn't hand it off. I sat with him for every, <laughs> every I was by his no, side. Cut that there. Time. Cut that there, mate. Go on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're like, oh, no, no, not that one. That one. <laughs> take you know, three. Take um, three. Come on. Yeah, <laughs> love it. Exactly. So, you know, I'm, you know, uh, yeah, it wasn't that wasn't the case. And, you know, we have a great shorthand and dialogue and we just know and what we want to do. And so we were able to, you know, do it pretty quickly. And um, yeah, I, I don't think I could just hand off a video to I've never done that. So I don't I don't know. That would be a, a challenge for me, actually. Yeah, I mean, it would it would be like Disney giving The Last Jedi to some random writer director with no previous experience. It would be something crazy like that you know <laughs> was there anything left on the cutting room floor or any deleted scenes that you would have liked to have kept in or anything or is everything because of the time constraint what was shot literally everything we shot is in it yeah i i wish we had, had more time to shoot some other stuff because there's like i said there was a couple other things that we wanted to do that we just didn't have the time to get to but yeah literally there's everything that we shot there was not one wasted bit of film in it and uh that was a bit of a conscious effort too because we was like you know 65 millimeter film is is not cheap to you shoot and process and and actually a nice little star wars tie-in there's uh when we shot the film they actually they did us a favor and they put in the 65 millimeter film in with the star wars film and it got processed in london with <laughs> what? With the, well, yes and it actually got sent back to us they're like you know what we're gonna the, star wars is gonna help you out with this and they processed the film and then we got it so there is a star wars connection we need to get paul just to record yeah the force will be with you always you know <laughs> my gosh I'm, I'm being blown back here Sadly, though, it means we're not going to get the uh, the Heart of Darkness Apocalypse Now director's cut version of <laughs> the Who Cares video. Speaking of famous directors, though, obviously you're shooting on film. Are you trying to be the next Tarantino? Are you holding out that film is going to be a medium that's going to be used forever? I mean, are we facing the, the music on physical film here now? Oh, man. You know, I I love film. I, you know, whenever possible, I try to... I try to shoot it. There's something that's, it's really, there's something obviously nostalgic about it, but a lot of it too is sort of the, the process of which you make a film on film, you know, when, for when we were shooting, who cares? The camera is massive and mm. the lenses are massive and it's, and it's this loud sort of thing. And, and everyone on set realizes it's like, oh, this is money running through that thing. You know, it's not just like, oh, we can just roll on it. We'll just have as many takes. They're like, all right, we only have enough film for X amount of takes. So everyone, everyone kind of realizes that and is just on their A game. And that's everyone in front of the camera and behind it. So it sort of sets a little bit of a different tone. Like, okay, we are we're making something serious here and we can't just be flipping flipping about it. Obviously, you know, I love something you know the grain in film there's you know there's a movement there and it's, a, it's that sort of 
a movement within within the moving frame and there's something sort of natural and sort of ethereal about it that you can achieve digitally but what you're doing is basically approximating film you know you're going and putting grain you're going and putting color looks on it and i love digital as well and i think there's 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 places for both of them if i had my way all the time i would i would probably shoot film just because i like it Mm. and i feel comfortable working with it because you know my my background growing up is you know i was a projectionist at my local movie theater i was a cameraman at Mm. the the local tv access channel and then i worked at in film labs uh um, you know, fo- photo film lab. So, you know, it's always something that's been in my hands in my world. And so I, I understand it, uh, I think a bit, uh, more than maybe like the average person. So it's not as like, it's like, Oh, it's scary. It's film or it's like, Oh, it's, it's something that, you know, is outdated. No, I think, I just think it's a, it's a tool that has the right, um, you know, it's the right tool for certain jobs and certain jobs. It isn't and this one we've it was more of like can we get away with it <laughs> and Linus or our amazing dp he was the one who suggested like shooting i wanted to shoot it on film and he's like what about 65 and i was like uh do you think they'll let us do that and and they did so yeah you can thank Linus for that one i love the lenses used in dr lorenz's office i love that fuzzy like it's almost more of a dream world in the real world if you, yes. if you know what I mean. Whereas the dream world is crisp and clear and HD. There was there was obviously a very uh, clear decision made there. I did I did enjoy that. Yeah, the the stuff in the uh, the, the in Doctor Lorenz's office that was actually sixteen millimeter, and um, that was we were actually testing co- a new stock for for Kodak. So it was like one of the first things shot on that new stock. As the new ectochrome, and so we were kind of a guinea pig, which in hindsight was a little sketchy. <laughs> <laughs> like at the time, I was like, "Great, this will be amazing. I, I love it." And then, and then, and then I thought, I was like, "Oh, they haven't even really shot anything with this yet. Mm. <laughs> Is it even going to capture anything? Let's hope." Yeah, so. I'm like, "Oh, do we light it right?" And like, but uh, yeah, and we actually because it was so it was such a new stock when we sent it to get scanned. They sent it back. The lab sent it back. I mean, this was not that the 16 millimeter did not get processed with the Star Wars um, just because only the 65 millimeter did. Hmm. But when they sent it back, it it looked they they scanned it wrong, and oh. it was and it was blown out and like and everyone was like overexposed like drastically. And I was like, oh my god, I I screwed this up. It was like, oh shit. And then I showed it to Linus and he was like, oh, this doesn't look right. And I'm like, OK, so and then and then we had one of the most amazing colorists uh, in the business, Tom Poole over at Company 3. He took a look at it. He's like, no, 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 this is he's like, let me do this. And he got it and then brought it to where we got it. And we we're like, oh, thank God. Thank you, Tom Poole. <laughs> I can't remember this. This is just something I'm thinking of now. Do, do, do you change aspect ratios between the real world and the dream world? We do, yes. Yeah. I always love it, love it when people play, play with that. Robert Eggers' The Vivitch or The Witch had a great aspect, uh, three, three by four aspect ratio, which you never see in cinema anymore. It was so cool to see that. One question I'll, I guess, want to ask you before you go. On your Instagram page, you thank Paul specifically for his support over the years. And whilst I know after my research now that you've collaborated a lot together and from my chat with you now, I can tell that you are close with Paul and with the family. But I was still wondering if you'd be able to expand upon what support from Paul McCartney is and what it means and how it's affected your life, really. Well, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll try. Um, you know, I think it's really sort of the the support and I felt lucky just to, you know, do those those first couple photo shoots and like to me that that opened up a lot of doors for me it opened up like oh wow you know you worked with paul mccartney that's that's great you know and that's really cool it's that's a short list of people but mm. you know to have that continue over the years and to you know have him reach out and call and you know want to talk about things and be involved and 
and really just kind of a, a trust like to me that's like the ultimate support for for an artist from some you know for me coming from you know someone like paul or paul just in general who's you know to me one of the my biggest inspirations you know both as a musician and a, a and an artist and yeah that really kind of stems from that idea that he makes me feel like listened to and heard and respected and like a lot of people in that type of position in that world don't really always do that. And I, I really appreciate him for, you know, always making that extra effort and, and, and making the time to, to do that. And it, it means a lot to me. And yeah, I think, you know, I just, I couldn't be, uh, you know, more thankful that I have gotten to create with him over the years. And I hope I continue, get to continue to as well. Brantley, I'm thankful that you've been able to work with Paul because the Who Cares video is just, it's just one of the best. It really is. It does rank up there with Helen Wheels and Silly Love Songs and that canon, as it, as, as it were, like it, it rests very safely there, especially as the best music video from the Egypt Station sessions as well, even though it wasn't particularly meant to be. So you pulled quite a trick out of, out of your hat there, I must say, I must say. <laughs> well, thank you. I really appreciate it, Sam. Right, let's just get the quick-fire ones out of the way, and I'm going to let you go. You mentioned this early on, and I'm glad you did. Uh, you are a Beatles fan. What's the best Beatles song? What's the best Beatles album? Go. Woo! Um, okay. Uh, album, I'm going to say... This is That's a real tough one for me, but I'm going to say Revolver. Ooh, um, good choice. Yeah. yeah, I think that was that was the first one that, like, I think as a kid, I was like, ooh, it just really kind of struck me. That was that was the first time I remember really hearing and being like, what are the Beatles? This is kind of crazy. Best song? Oh, my God. That one, that's even harder. You know, for different reasons. Uh, can, I, can I say two? <laughs> you know what? You've been kind enough to come on this show. I'm sure I can forgive you for having okay. two favorite Beatles songs. Go on. Okay. I'm going to say Tomorrow Never Knows. And hey Jude, those are those are probably if I you had to look on my my play most repeated plays, those two would probably be the two. That's like the weirdest John song <laughs> and the most Paul song that Paul ever pulled. That's that's yeah. brilliant. Uh, are you much of a fan of his solo work? Could I ask you the same again for best solo Paul song, best solo Paul album? Oh man, yeah. Okay, I mean I'm gonna say, oh, man, that's a tough one. Um, McCartney 2 or Ram. Oh, good lad. Oh, you, but you were born to come on this podcast. Yes. <laughs> Those are the two best. They're the two best, my friend. You're right. Yeah. Uh, Ram is just solid. It's Abbey Road-esque quality. And yes. McCartney 2 sounds like it came out like three years ago, tops. Yeah. Yeah. I've been, I've been, I've been rocking uh, coming up a, lo a lot lately. I'm just like, man, this, this track is so cool. It's so cool. I just love it. And the video. I never it seen hasn't got a bad video either, recently. does it? Yeah, I'd never seen it before, and I was like, "What the hell?" <laughs> no, uh, Michael Lindsay Hogg. If you're listening to this now, which you most certainly aren't, the uh, director of that video, you are most certainly in my sights as well. Uh, gotta get that on. Gotta gotta get that on the show. Yeah, get get him on there, man. Right. Brantley, thank you so much for coming on the show today and having this little discussion with me. I mean, I can't, I can't really put it into words how much it means to have the unique insights that you've been able to provide. It's, it's just been so cool. Let me just ask, do you have any upcoming projects that we need to be made aware of? How could people find your previous work? How can we get at you? You know, I'm, I just directed a, a, my first television pilot with, uh, with the very talented actor Boyd Holbrook. Oh. Um, so hopefully that'll be on tv sometime in 2020 well uh you know fingers crossed on that and yeah i've you know i actually have a, a music project called golden states and it's sort of a collaboration with a bunch of friends from some other bands from some of the guys from arcade fire and uh young the giant and so we we've been making a record with uh, one of my one of my good buddies harrison and uh kipner and we yeah we've been putting out a couple singles and we're gonna put out an album next year and so that's been fun. A lot of a lot of fun, fun friends coming and playing on some tracks. But yeah, man, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to hopefully do a, my first feature film later next year. I can't tell you much about it, but at some point next year, I'll be making a feature film. So 
Oh wow! So you're you're directing the next Avengers film? I can't believe it! Wow, brilliant! <laughs> yeah, you heard it first here, folks. Um, what, hopefully, you'll 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 be free in a couple of years when I've written one of three Beatles projects. I want to do. I want to do a, basically, you know, The Crown on Netflix. That needs to be just called The Beatles, and each episode is an hour. Each season is just one r- recording session. That's got to be made. I've got to make oh, man. Killing Ringo. Uh, a guy goes back in time to kill Ringo Starr and join the Beatles. I think that one could be, <laughs> could, could, could be fun. Uh, basically like Yesterday by Danny Boyle, but done right. Uh, <laughs> because fuck Thank that movie. Fuck, fuck that movie. Um, oh, man. It was... So it was, yeah, I, I love Danny Boyle. Don't get me wrong. I love, he's made some great movies. <laughs> if Spud from Trainspotting had come in and gone, so, wait, so you were the Beatles, right? What? You know, like, if that had happened, I would, I would have loved it. But when you're writing a Beatles film, don't forget you're writing a Beatles film. So you stay away from the rom-com stuff and just give us obscure references to Hey Bulldog and Long, Long, Long. Yeah. Like, that's what we came for. Yeah. And, I mean, that's... And we didn't get exactly. it. Exactly. And... We didn't get any of that with that movie, but one day that my 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 dream is to do a, a Beatles film of some sort. That is definitely that's on the top of my list. I don't know what it is, and I don't know if they'll let me make it. But I, Bradley, you need to make. I mean, Tarantino has shown us that we don't even need to follow real history anymore. So let's just yeah. have a movie set in 1985 where the aging Beatles have to fight a zombie apocalypse. Let's have some fun with it, you know. <laughs> That's a great idea, man. I'm, I'm, I'm on board. Send me that script when you get it done. Oh yeah, I'll have to think. I'll have to think about casting. Casting these guys is gonna be tricky, but uh, we'll... we need Michael Fassbender ten years ago to play John Lennon. Oh, oh, <laughs> oh that would, that's a great idea. That 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 would just be so good. And then and then maybe like Ving Rains playing George Harrison, perhaps. Oh, yeah. And Charlize Theron as Ringo. <laughs> Sorry, no, no, I should say that correctly. Charlie Dadon. There we go. Yes, that's it. That's it. Guys, uh, I've, I've lost track of what we were talking about. This is a very busy chap. I'm not going to keep him any longer. His name has been Brantley Gutierrez. He has come to today to talk to us about all these Paul McCartney projects. Most importantly, the Who Cares video. Brantley, thank you so fucking much for coming on, bro. I cannot pay you back enough. Oh, Sam, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. And uh, happy holidays. And... Uh... I'll talk to you again soon. Fuck the holidays. It's been one year since Who Cares. That's the real anniversary. <laughs> That's the birth that I care about right now. <laughs> Folks, Denny Lane has probably already been playing us out for a while now. Keep listening to Paul. Peace and love, peace and love. Two fingers up. Much love.